Thank you, Pastor. Um, <clears throat> I think there were three different ways he he uh, chose to try to make my face red and uh, kind of got me. But I appreciate all the kind things that you've said. Thank you. So there is no title slide yet, but the title slide comes second. So, you know, God's kingdom doesn't always work in order. And sometimes first is last. Well, this time first is second. And this is a prefacing slide. What I want to do is get us in the mind of the flow. And so when pastor asked to preach, um, if I had a word, the answer is, well, God has the word, right? And so I just said, yes, I will agree to speak whatever God gives. And so the first thing is we're in a flow. Something amazing happened here with Eric Burton. We rented our hearts and things are changing. Um, but I want to remind us as, you know, what do we do with the mighty move of God that's happening? Well, something is happening here. We can feel it. Not only that, I can see it, but something's happening in our land. I see it. Things are starting to turn. People who would never have said a thing are starting to speak up and speak out and become visible. The hidden's becoming visible. There's things we're doing that we don't want to change. There are things that we're doing. And one of those was the outpouring that we saw here started with a rended heart, a broken heart, a repentant heart. And I saw it. I heard it. I was a part of it. My heart was broken, and so was yours. We have to stay that way. The gospel is a heartbreaker. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 and 37. Remember Peter on the great day of Pentecost, he gave his sermon. His first sermon converted thousands of people. But when he gave his sermon, what was their response? You can look it up. Acts chapter 2, 36 and 37. It says, when he had preached, he said, their hearts... Their hearts were broken. That followed by 5,000 people accepting Christ in one day. That's something that we've received. Let's stay repentant. And the other one that we're doing very well, we had a couple of sermons on Psalm 91. Abide, remain in, be fearless, continue under the almighty shadow, the shadow of the almighty. So we're doing some great things. Don't change on your fundamentals. But there's always room for change, am I right? There's always room no matter how good we think we're doing, which we shouldn't, that even shouldn't even be our mentality, right? But the Bible says if you think you're on the solid ground, just be careful because that is setting yourself up for a fall. That means some things about what happened here with, uh, with Pastor Burton and then the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit means we can't stay the same as we were. I know I won't. I'm forever changed by that day. Forever changed by that day. And there are some things that we can change, and I think we all know it. And I'm using a word, we can change in fervor. Fervor is that word of sincerity, passion, eagerness, desire. I think we call it when we... Hungry, we call it hunger. And when we've been out in the sun all day without a drink, we call it thirst. We need to up it. We need to realize what God's done for us and, and go after him like there's no tomorrow. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But do we really take that? Do we do, we do it? Or do we say, like, that's what we want to do? 
We can't keep wanting to do it. We have to actually, practically do it. Write, the, write his words on your doorpost. Tell it to your kids when you're driving to Branson. Whatever you're doing and wherever you're going, meditating them day and night. So we need to change in fervor, but we also have room to change in practice. And that's where our master text um, comes in today. So today I will just a quick backdrop. We all know the story of Pentecost. Peter stood up. He preached the knockout sermon of the church history. He brought souls under God. Hearts were rended before God. But guess what? Like the same elders and authorities and that same spirit of jealousy and fear that put Jesus on the cross didn't want to hear or see anyone mention the name of Jesus or act like Jesus. But that's exactly what Peter and the rest of the apostles did. So the backstory is they heal a cripple in the name of Jesus. They infuriate the leaders of the day. You know, there's something about corrupt leaders at the name of Jesus that just infuriates them. So let them be tormented until they come over to the right side, right? Okay, so that's the backstory. So they, they, they were taken in, questioned, threatened, and then they were released. And so now we get to our master text, and uh, we're ready to roll forward. So if you would, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Chapter, Acts chapter 4, verse 23. The whole master text I'm not going to read in one fell swoop, so I'm going to stop at verse 31, and then we'll pick up the rest of the master text in our last point today. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voice together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, by saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord, against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Anapas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Praise God. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Praise God's name today. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord. Change agents of Acts. The first prominent change agent that I've picked up on here is prayer. In Acts chapter 4, in verse um, 24, we see a verse here that says, 
When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer. As your version, New King James would say, in one accord. Maybe the NIV might say, all together or together as one. But the question is that we have here, and by the way, um, to make things w match the bulletin with the sermon, I've got a little decoder here. If it's in red and underlined, that's probably something that's in your bulletin. And uh, so kind of help you out a little bit today. All right. So our first change agent is prayer. And the question is, how many believers lifted their voices in prayer? All. All of them. The word that we're looking for um, in prayer is, um, and I'm not sure if we're seeing it. I'm not seeing it here. I think, let me just go ahead and click through. There it is. At the top right, homothumadon or homothymadon. It can be pronounced either way. And I'm not here to be fancy and to give you a Greek primer lesson. But it's important to know that the Bible wasn't written in English. And if you want to really get it for what it's worth, learning Greek is within everybody's hands. All I can say is there's so many wonderful tools today. Look it up for yourself. It's easy to do. I looked it up. Homo thymodon is the first part of the word in blue matches your blue English words. That's where they get the words all together. And the green part, the thymodon, they've translated here as lifted but it means basically to passionately make a sound, to passionately do it, fervently lifted their voice. The point is how many believers lifted their voice in prayer? Everyone was there. And I don't have a count, so I'm not going to give you like 18 or 27 or, or whatever it is. The point being that they all did something. Now, it's not like an Elvis Presley movie where everyone knew the words of the prayer and they jumped up and magically started singing the same song, all right? This is not clam bake. That's not what happened here. I'm sure of it, right? But what did happen here is that somebody started to pray, probably someone in a position of authority like a pastor or an apostle, and other people heard the prayer and they were like, yeah, that. Only they didn't just sit there and think that. They said that. Yeah, that, that's the one. That's what, yes, we agree. All of them, not just some of them, the whole room. So amen on that. They, these were passionate people, by the way. The Jewish people, they weren't the sit still and be quiet kind anyway. I think they had the other problem. It's like, really now? Shh. You know, but, but they were all participating. Here's the thing. We don't want to be silent. We're made in the image of God. When God speaks, stuff happens. We're made in God's image. When we speak, whether we see it today or not, stuff happens. And when your voice is raised, when you're homothomadon as a church, Power is released. Power in the name of Jesus Christ. Even if you just verbally agree to the to, to prayer that you heard the pastor pray. By the way, what a demonstration of this point. 
right before. What a demonstration of this point. How much power did bless life, this tiny church, how much power did we release here just this morning? There may be a mega church right here in the same county didn't release a fraction of the power that we released today. I think I heard 82.4% of the voices raising in that prayer. Now, I didn't open my eye or look around for the other 17.6%, but I have a pretty good idea. Just kidding. I, I, I don't. It's power is released. And you know, that is why. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't pray in private, but that is why 90% of the New Testament teaching on prayer is in the group context. The pray, they're not telling you how to go pray in your pray, prayer closet. You should know that. The Holy Spirit's telling you how to do that. The Holy Spirit will take you to that prayer closet. He'll take you to your prayer chamber. And you can have this wonderful time of edifying yourself in tongues with God and the Holy Spirit. Yes, don't forsake doing that. As a matter of fact, I think I have a bullet point on that. Let's just get that up there right now. We're not saying don't go pray in private. Not at all. But we're saying that spoken words have power... And if they have power, there's a reason for it. And it's a, let's go to, to Matthew. I think I used the blue for Matthew. All right, so I'm at Matthew chapter 18. Here's why the devil doesn't want you to speak out loud and agree with the pastor when he's praying. The devil doesn't want to hear your amen. And here's why. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, or in the New Living, he said, I tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, now that's prayer, my Father in heaven will do it for you. No wonder the devil wants to strike you with shyness and uncomfortability. He doesn't want your voice to join in because when two or more, he says, are gathered there and ask something in God's name, it'll be given. We just... Asked, we actually claimed our covenant right in that prayer this morning. That was our covenant right. God gave us that covenant right. We're free in Jesus Christ. Free forevermore. We live in a free land. Where two or three gather together in my followers, I am there among them. Now, now we start to see something. Corporate prayer, prayer as a group, brings Jesus out of your prayer closet and it brings him into public. And when Jesus Christ comes into public, things change. People get released. People come to God, their hearts get torn, they get broken, and they get truly healed, and they get truly saved when we bring Jesus out of the prayer closet and we bring him out into public. And the devil hates it. That's why he, he wants to strike you with this Hey, I don't want to speak. What's someone going to think if I say something? I, who cares? If you're agreeing with God, who cares what anyone else thinks? Just agree with God. Praise the Lord. Yes, amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yes, we're not going to live in our own little private Idaho and just agree silently. We're going to open our voices and we're going to cause the minions of hell to tremble with our power, our God-given authority and power that we've just exercised here this morning. 
When Jesus comes out into public, the atmosphere is created where people are delivered and healed. And praise God, they're changed forevermore. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, on this slide, and you're going to see several slides like this one. And so what I'm trying to do is this is not an academic exercise for, for you guys. I don't need a literal answer because there are as many good and correct responses to these questions as there are people seated here today, and probably more so, right? But the questions are relevant. They're the what ifs. So we're saying that every, every church has a, a, a chance to grow or an opportunity to change for the better, right? We're not always just always standing on solid ground. And by the way, I, uh, we, we want to make sure that we don't do this from the wrong position like, like we're, we're masters of the universe, okay? So, but the what ifs, they help us to stay humble. They really do. So what if the balance shifted from private prayer to corporate prayer? Not saying don't pray as much privately. No, keep praying as much privately but pray more so publicly as well, right? We have opportunities in this uh, fellowship to pray a lot. The pastor, I don't know how many times, four or five, six times we get together, but the, pra the pastor or one of the other, maybe an elder or somebody, they do the verbalizing. We need to actually be the ones that verbalize with them just like they do in Acts, right? Let's put our voices with their voices, even if we just say, mm-hmm, yeah, God knows we mean yes, and so does the devil. And that's what makes him shake and quake and irritates him. And I kind of I kind of get a little pleasure out of that. <laughs> right. What if prayer service was a normal service and not a special service? You know, what if that was the whole point? Not all of them, but some of them, you know, we don't have to make it a special thing. We just yeah, here we are all together. This is prayer service today. We may get so excited praying, we just jump up and start singing. But, you know, there's a question for us. What if everybody participated audibly in front of the Brent, I should have struck that one. I covered that one like 18 times. What if prayer was the first thing everyone did when they got up in the morning? Everyone. Not just some. Everyone. You don't wake up and make your post toasties or whatever you do. But before you do that, hey, Lord, I am alive and I've got another opportunity today. You are my God. You are so good. Lord, you're full of power and you know my heart. I only want good things. So just throw down all this stupidity that I see around me today. Strike it with lightning. You can be a son and daughter of thunder just like John and James. Just do it and say it. Get up and declare it. Yes. And what if the next prayer was your last? What if, what if... Somehow you knew that God let you know he touched your heart and he said, you got one more prayer to pray and that's it. Would you pray differently? Would you think a little differently about it? What if God said, hey, as much as you love your pastor today and not for whatever reason, maybe you don't know why, but this is going to be the last time you get to hear your pastor pray. Would you pray with the pastor differently? Would you listen to his words differently? Maybe would you agree with him more fervently? What if? Another change agent that's readily apparent in Acts chapter 4 is the level of preparedness. Oh, this is preparedness on steroids. Peter, who's a fisherman, 
He had a privilege like none other. He walked the earth with Jesus Christ for three years. My friends, you don't have to go to rabbinical school. They said in Acts, right in Acts chapter 4, part of setting the stage, when they arrested Peter and John, it said that the rabbis who were drilling them like, like, a, like attorneys in a court in the capital of their country, grilling them, noticed their boldness. And it says that uh, they took note that they'd been with Jesus, but they hadn't been to Bible school. Well, praise God, you don't have to go to Bible college for people to know if you've been with Jesus or not. Right? You don't have to go. All you got to do is know how to read English and then you can read God's word. And then you can, you can ask the Holy Spirit, tell me, Holy Spirit, what's this mean? What's the pastor say to me? Come to church and listen and you will be the world's foremost authority on God's word. My grandfather was with an eighth grade education. That man knew God's word because he loved God and he loved God's word and he slept it and he, eat, he ate it and he breathed it and he wanted it and he hungered it and he thirsted for it. And if we do, we'll be prepared just in the same way. I'm sure that these great events that went on in the early parts of Pentecost and Peter's still a young man, years later, decades later, he wrote epistles. And you know, when you get older, you look at things a little different and your time, now God's starting to say, you know, this might be your last letter. And Peter's an older man. And what's he writing to us? What's he say? This is what he says. If someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be prepared. Well, Peter, wow, Pentecost, look, I've got a stadium full of people and they gave me the microphone. That's not the time to him and haul around and give a Just can't say, but you know, one of our one of our leaders, he doesn't seem like he's all with it, and he gets asked a question, and he hum hauls around and stuff. That's not going to impress anybody, and that's not going to win somebody over to the Lord, right? First impressions last a lifetime. If someone asks you, why are you a Christian? You're not going to fumble that response. No, because you're going to know the gospel like you know the back of your hand. Right? It's easy. The Roman road here. I think you've probably heard of it. It's kind of a little campy and corny, but hey, it's all in there. I'm not going to like read it for you. I want you to write that down and read yourself. If you're a Bible highlighter, highlighter person, go highlight those. Romans 3, 10, 23, 5, 8, 6, 23, 10, 19 through 13. Nine verses. You can memorize that in 30 minutes or an hour. I know if you shut off TV, you get rid of your social media for a while, Close the window, sit with God, ask God to open your heart. You'll have those verses memorized in 30 minutes. But I know what they say. I don't have to say them verbatim. Nobody's good. Everyone's gone astray. The human nature is corrupt. That's you. That's me. Nobody is good. We're sinners. We're without hope. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ... Come down here, and he died for you to straighten out your mess. Right? Praise God. The, get, the, the wages of, uh, of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life 
in Jesus Christ. And then you get on over into chapter 10 and you're informed that if you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and that he was raised from the dead and you confess it with your mouth out loud, you're saved. That's the gospel. Memorize it. And when someone says, hey, why are you a Christian? Well, guess what? Here's why. Take a look around you. People are corrupt and we're without hope. And there's a penalty for that. It's called death and worse. There, it, there's a place called hell. And, you know, I'm not saying that this is your only answer, but when you get more confident on what the gospel is, you'll get more confident on, you know, what the alternative is. And sometimes people need to hear the alternative. Right? And you'll be confident about it. But there's nothing like confidence to change somebody. John 3, 16 and 17. We don't have to, to be scholars and, <clears throat> and King James it all the time and do it word for word, although it doesn't hurt. I do memorize scripture word for word. Some of it is King James and I can't help it. But, I, but that's fine. You know, and if that's not your style, that's fine. But God loved the world this way. He gave his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Not anybody else, only one, one unique person. Gave him his only son. He didn't have another spare. He just gave the one he had. He gave him so that you didn't have to go to hell and that you can have eternal life. God didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He sent Jesus into the world to save the world through him. And praise Jesus because everything that's created was created through him. And so he's the author of our salvation. It had to come through him. Praise his holy name today. Amen. Know your gospel. Thank you, Lord. The next part of this preparedness is to know the truth. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. Ephesians chapter 6. Here's the ugly truth. I'm going to do one of these Paul Harveys for any of you that might know what that means. For the three of us here that know what Paul Harvey is, right? Okay. Here's the ugly truth. And you young people, make sure you hear this and wake up. This is, this is the ugly truth. This is the world you live in. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. They're invisible. We're fighting against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That's the ugly truth. Now, here's the rest of the story. I don't think I got that quite right, but here's the rest of the story. Jesus disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority and shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's the world that we live in. It's invisible. There's invisible powers that you're in that camp. And if you're not in the camp with the good powers of Jesus Christ and covered by his invisible power, you're out here at large for the picking. You get under God's cloud, under God's protection. His angels are around you. Psalm 91, for he, he gives his angels charge over you to watch you in all your ways. 
Praise God he does, because if he didn't, we'd be consumed. Thank you, Lord. That's the truth, and the truth will set you free. But there's more. Oh, praise God, there's always more. Paul says here in Ephesians 6, he says, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. How, how much of it? Every piece of it, right? All of it. Put on all of it. And he said, then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. And notice the battle language. Notice the battle language. It was, in, it was back in Acts. It was in our master text. That why does the world rage and battle against God? It's a battle. But he says, stand, with, stand your ground putting on the belt of truth and body armor of God's righteousness or the breastplate of righteousness. He says, for shoes, put on your feet the peace that comes from the good news, from the gospel, so that you will be fully prepared. Fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Amen? Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in the darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. Bless God, it will not come nigh thee. Right? Praise the Lord today and know his word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. Know the truth. Put on every piece of God's armor. And why would we do that? Why would we do that? Because you're in the battlefield. Whether you want to be or not, you're there. There is no non-battlefield. There is no neutral zone. You are in the battlefield. And the question is, are you going to fight? Right? You're in the battlefield. Are you going to fight or are you just going to stand around? And I, I don't mean that to be mean. I, I'm talking to me just as much as I'm talking to you. And please keep that in mind. I really, truly mean that. When I'm standing and speaking God's word, it's for all of us, speaker included. Right? I'm learning from this. I learned from preparing this message. My heart is broke. I can tell you I cried during this. Uh, that's why I got my box. And if it happens, it happens because I'm not going to. I'm not going to fight against God. I've spent too much time in my life struggling against him. I'm fighting with him. Right? Right. All right. So we're talking about like it or not, you're in the battlefield. You know, if you're standing around the battlefield and you're not fighting, you could actually be getting in the way of the people on your side who are doing the fighting. You can become you can become an anchor for somebody else because they're trying to save you from getting hit and you're not fighting and trying to do anything for anybody else. That's a sobering thought, right? But it makes no sense if to get suited up with all of God's armor if you're going to get out there and just stand there, right? So 
We need to get in the battle. And for battle, you need to be bold. You need to be bold. Acts 4, 29. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness. Now watch what comes next very carefully. Great boldness in preaching your word. Don't make me big and bad and just, you know, just because I want to be big and bad. That's proud. God doesn't like loud and proud. God doesn't make people bold so they can be a bully. God said they prayed. This is their prayer to God. Oh, Lord, give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Now look at verse 31. After this prayer, the meeting place shook. Do you think God agreed with their prayer for boldness? He didn't say make us bold so we can beat up our, our, our enemies, right? He said, make us bold so we can preach your word. And God shook the building. Is that not getting somebody's attention? That's the right kind of prayer. Make me a warrior, Lord. I've got myself suited up. I'm in the battlefield. I'm going to fight, but I'm not going to fight without your power. So look at verse 31 very carefully here. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. There's where bold comes from. There's where you're going to get your boldness. But there's more in the package. So don't just, and we'll get onto that in just a second here. But after they received the Holy Spirit, what happened? They preached the word of God with boldness. There's something about God's word and boldness that he likes. He's joined those things together, right? And, and, and you know what? He didn't do that just for Peter. He didn't do that just for Paul. That wasn't just for Jesus. That's for you. That's for you. Well, that's for me. I don't, God, that's the way that God operates. And you know, our mission may not be as mission critical, we think, but that's the devil talking to you. Our mission is mission critical. Oh, well, it may not be as dramatic or it may not be on the world theater like it was for these guys. It's on some theater. It's in a battlefield and you're in the battle. And if you weren't in the battle, then God wouldn't be able to use you. And he wouldn't have put you in the battlefield if he weren't going to equip you, right? Right. So there's nothing like being in the battle and being on with God. And we've got to be in and we have to be aggressive. Okay, praise God. So we're looking at being bold, but we can't be bold in our prayer closets and we can't always be bold inside these four walls, right? Yes, there's a spiritual battle. Yeah, there's a battlefield in my mind. It's not either or, it's both and. Both and, yeah, there's a spiritual battle and you need to battle that out in your prayer closet. You need to battle it in your prayer room. You need to battle it in your mind. You need to give yourself to God and he'll change your mind. He'll transform your mind. That battle's going on, but there's another battle going on in public. I don't know if you read the newspaper. You don't even have to read the newspaper. You can smell attitude on the street, right? You can smell it in the street. Your mission is no less critical than their mission. 
There's nothing so petty that God doesn't look at it with as much concern and vigor. It may not be as dramatic, but you pursue it because God said, whatever you, whatever your hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. There's nothing like the confidence that will come from being prepared in God's word. But you got to be bold enough to speak it. So what I would say that we're going to do is let's take it outside of these four walls. Let's drop gospel bombs on social media. Huh? Gospel bombs on social media. Let's lob faith grenades. Let's lob them at our fears. I, I've got some fear. That's a thing. Here's a faith grenade. I'm going to lob it at myself and I'll lob it at your fear too if you want me to. Praise God. Let's shoot arrows of love at our enemies. That'll get them confused. Right? And we do it all in the name of Jesus. Right? Not fueled by anger. Not fueled by anger, but fueled by the love of God. Not out of pride. And I think I'll click the slide here. Not out of pride. Right? But out of preparedness and out of humility. Now let's look at the slide for just a little bit. Boldness is a result of preparation. Boldness is tempered with humility. We speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. And you know, sometimes love comes in the form of discipline, doesn't it? Love doesn't mean, oh, it's just pet, pet, everything's going to be okay. Love, you've heard the term tough love. Sometimes there's tough love. And that's the kind of love that God's Word will tell you all about and the Holy Spirit will teach you. All right? Boldness, humility, and preparation. If you think about it, the most influential people, the most useful people in God's kingdom have been those that strike this balance between being bold and being humble and being prepared. Let's consider Jesus. Jesus humbled himself got off the throne, went through the whole process of becoming a baby, having to get his diapers changed, went through all that humiliation. How humble is that for God? That's humble, right? That is humble. The same Jesus gets up before everybody else, everybody else sleeps. He goes off somewhere in private and prepares himself for the day with prayer. Does he stay in private? No, he's bold enough to go out in public afterwards because he's all charged up. His heart's full of love for his creation. He's humble. He's prepared. And what happens is he changes the whole history of the human race because he's bold. Praise the Lord. Consider Paul. Paul, how humble Paul was. He was, he was like the next big thing. He was like a... Like a you know, the senator, the career politician, his ticket's going to get punched and he's moving right on up the top. And he got interfered at a short circuit by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul went from celebrity to refugee in point zero. That man was humbled, right? Paul was stripped and whipped in public. He was humbled, but he kept getting back up, right? 
God used all of his rabbinical training. He knew the word of God like the back of his hand. He just had it misapplied. But Jesus met him on a road and straightened him out. And wow, talk about being prepared. Whoa, I dare not say over prepared because I don't believe in it. But whoo, he was close. Paul, tenacious on steroids. And consider Moses. Scripture said Moses was the most humble man on earth. Consider Moses, but yet he stared down a demon-possessed king, the ruler of the world, really, at that time, stared down a demon-possessed king and led God's people to freedom right under his nose on CNN. Because that's what it was. The whole world heard about it. You're the big pompous Pharaoh. Well, look what happened to you, Mr. You know, Power Pants. You know, how would you like that on every billboard if you're the king of the earth? Yeah. Right. Humility, boldness, and preparation. There is no other better winning combination. All right. Well, I'm going to do some what ifs on you because I need to recharge a little bit here. I think this thing goes, does this go in reverse? Yes, there you go. I think there's an operator problem. I was going to blame it on the click. All right. So I skipped over this one because I was on a roll. And, you know, we can't always go by the script, right? So same thing with preparedness. I'm not going to ask you, you know, do you have the right response to these questions? That's not the point. But the point is I've got fewer now because I want you to think of your own questions, right? So I'm, I'm cutting your supply off just a little bit. So get activated a little bit. What if, if preparedness, what if someone asked you today, what's the gospel? You've been going to church. Do oh, you go to church? Yep. Where do you go to church? Blessed Life Fellowship. How long have you been going there? Oh, about five years. What's the gospel? Well, that's not going to do us any good, right? No, it's not. And you know, an emotional answer is not going to do you a lot of good either, right? God is a, I'm not saying don't have emotion. It's, it's yes, both. It's both and. I want, I'm, I'm an emotional guy. I mean, I am. But I'm also a factual guy. And I don't base my faith on my emotion. My emotion's a result of the facts that I base my faith on. Right? I am fact-based. There is no better attested fact in all of human history that Jesus rose from the dead. No better attested fact in history. You can't find better historical science to prove anything more than you can prove that point. That's where my emotion comes from because before he rose from the dead, he died for me, right? He did. What's the gospel, all right? What if every believer knew the scripture better than their favorite sport team? Oh boy. Well, what about better than your ma uh, favorite musical group? Right? What if they, they knew the scripture better than the movie franchise like Star Wars? Some of you Star Wars or Trekkies or whatever goes on there. Or your own occupation. Right? What if that's what you put your, your heart, mind, and soul into first? That's the way that, what do you think would happen in your occupation if you, if you made God your occupation, if you made God's preparing for God's battles your occupation? I can tell you firsthand what happens. 
Supernatural things happen in my job now. I was ignoring the power of God. Oh, my. His word is it's in black and white. You've just got to take it and run with it and believe it. Right. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What if you live in a country where assembling and even the Bible were against the law? While well, you'd start preparing like there's no tomorrow, if they found out, hey, tomorrow that there's the, no church assembly and we're going to try to get all the Bibles. Wow. Well, don't you wish you'd been preparing a little bit more along the way? Because there's nothing worse than cramming for an exam, right? <laughs> nothing worse than cramming for an exam. I don't know what you do. You run out of, like, take pictures with your cell phone until you ran out of memory or something. But, you know, it would change the way that you operate. And now we went through boldness. And now I'm going to what if some more. And you notice now, really, the supply is getting leaner. I, I don't have a lot for you here. I can say this. Your voice has power and the devil knows it and it makes him shake and bake. Right? God gave you your power because God created this world by speaking, and God gets stuff done when, when God speaks. His word doesn't come back empty, and your word doesn't either. You just don't know it yet because the devil's trying to trick you into not thinking about it. But the truth is, your words have power, but what if you don't say anything? Right? Right? I'm going hunting. My gun's got bullets, and I see what I want, but I'm just not going to pull the trigger. I'm not going to have any meat on my table, am I? No, no. So what if you don't say anything? So now it's kind of getting awkward, right? So I want to hear from you, and I guess if we, I don't know where the microphone went, but if we need a microphone, we can. Does anybody else have a what if? Not because we want to know what the answer is, but does anybody else have a what if question that Acts 4 may have brought you in about holy boldness. And you don't have, it's not jeopardy, you don't have to say it in the form of a question. It'll just be any comment about boldness or lack of boldness. Right over here, yeah. What if your mate doesn't want to hear it? So what answer would somebody have for a question? What if... Your mate doesn't want to hear it. Bill. I can tell you, we did a, a marriage counseling session on that. And uh, because that's a true problem. Sometimes you, you have a, uh, sometimes we don't uh, follow God's word and we marry somebody who's already in the Lord or maybe neither of us were and one of us gets saved and the other one doesn't want to hear it. They fight you on it. In fact, they're mean about it. Uh, there's something you can do. And this was in this session. It was very good. Um, and uh, it's actually in print. If you want to ask me about it after the service, I'll tell you all about it. But you show them love. And through that love, they absorb it. They receive it. You can't turn out love. Acts of Amen. love. Acts of kindness. Praise God. And that's how you reach them. And that's actually one of the ploys that we use in the motorcycling uh, community. Because believe it or not, a lot of those mean old motorcyclists don't get a lot of love. I know it's hard to believe. <laughs> but true. And you show them an act of kindness, a movement of love. They can't deny it. And they know it's revealed to them where it comes from. And that's how you can show God is through that act of kindness, that gift of love. Uh, one that they can't refuse and they can't get mad about. They will get frustrated because they won't know what to do with it. 
Um, but it will wear them down. And that's how you can reach someone for Jesus like that. If they don't want to hear the printed word, you give them the living word. Amen. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Good questions. Good response. Anybody else? If your mate doesn't want to hear it, just live it. Let him see the change in you, and he's got to wonder what's going on, and that'll save him. I love that reply. Yeah. And, and actually, all of the conversation is good because it's gonna, it, it actually is segueing over into my last point today. But keep going. I love this. I'm going to get Julie, and then I'll come back to you. I'm just the Ricky Lake here this morning, aren't I? <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. I guess the one thing that the Lord has really shown me is that our country is in this situation because we didn't say anything. I would and I feel like God is really, you know, calling us to boldness, to be leaders in our country and to step out, to get involved. Yes. I believe that, you know, we need to be a part of the solution and really get out there and get some things done. And I will say there is a meeting for We the People, can I plug, this Saturday at 9 a.m. at the Republican, um, whatever. Yeah, the county headquarters. I can give you the address if you want it. And I think I'm definitely going. I'm, you know, I think we were all busy raising our families and paying attention to our children instead of what was going on in our country. Yes. So I, it's time for us to get involved in both. God wants us to participate in everything. That's right. And we are going to, and Amen. we are breaking through this. Amen. Amen. God. Glory yes. to God. Hallelujah. All right. Yes, I've been uh, thinking a lot about what you're talking about today, Brent, because uh, the boogie's coming up, and that's the one event uh, every year that Dennis Martin, my chapter president, and I go to and minister uh, there amongst the biking world. And my newsletter article this month uh, talks about uh, the fields being ripe for uh, planting, ready to plant, and you've got to take out your plow, and you've got to plow the fields. Uh, but this farmer I talk about in my... In my uh, newsletter article, didn't want to get his tractor dirty, didn't want to get his plow dirty. He had an all-new tractor and clean plow, all sharp yeah. and ready to go. But if we don't get out into the fields, if we don't go out and plow, yeah. we can't plant. If we don't plant, they can't harvest. If we don't get our harvester out there and, and harvest Amen. the field, the harvest doesn't come in. Uh, so I was trying to encourage my brothers and sisters in the motorcycling world that, yes, it's it's dirty, it's dusty, it's a lot of work. It is not comfortable over there. The air con It's not air-conditioned in that tent. And, uh, but we've got to get out there and do that. And we've got to have that boldness you speak of and go out and, and show the word and preach the word uh, and show it in ways they can't ignore it. Uh, and they'll come Absolutely. to you. And uh, that's happened to us. And I've told those stories from the pulpit from time to time where we've been out. People come up to us and sometimes it's that easy. Uh, but we've got to be out about the Father's word and don't worry about getting your tractor dirty. Get out there and get it muddy. <laughs> that's what you bought it for. I'll have to say I've never heard it in the form of farming but i love it yeah absolutely it's good good bill thank you anybody else i think we have uh, pam here like you really need it but <laughs> and so um what if my livelihood is threatened my job losing my house 
having some kind of financial devastating event because I'm standing in my faith? What if? That's a very, that's a great question. That's happening around the world, but it's not been happening here. And I am not going to pronounce a curse on us by saying, get ready, because it's not going to happen to us. Right? We, but whatever happens, we stand on God's word and God will deliver us. There is an, there's a, there's a, you know, time's an illusion because I'm living forever and I'm living in a castle and nothing is going to take it from me. Whatever I see with my eyes in this place, that's only in my physical realm. The real world isn't visible to my physical eyes, but I see it. I see it with my spiritual eyes. That's where I live. That's our home. Praise God. The great, very relevant, pertinent question. Anybody else? Yes. What if words are spoken, spoken about you or around you that aren't good or uplifting or God's word? What if you speak words inadvertently to curse yourself or those around you? Mm-hmm. So, anybody? Yeah. Yeah. You don't receive it, and if you say the wrong thing, you say the right thing right after and go, I don't receive what I just said. I speak this over myself. I speak that I have everything I need to do everything God's called me to do. You know, I mean, speak God's word. That's how you counter it. And I know he knows that because he went to Karis. <laughs> so he definitely knows it. All right. He's probably got the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but I will speak to people when they say Yes. And, and, and so do you all do you all get the really the point that, that Rob's making here is are we just going to sit there and listen to this? I don't know what we call it like uh, uh, blasphemy is, I think, what they call it in, in the Old Testament. Right. Are we just going to sit and listen to them trash God. Are we going to do something? Are we going to say something? Well, you know what? Anytime you speak in God's word, and you, it, it, the scripture, it tells you right there in Acts 4, Holy Spirit's going to come to your aid. Amen. Right? Holy Spirit's going to come to your aid. You don't even have to know what you're going to say. You just know that you're defending God and let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Yes. God. In love, with humility. Yes. God, God gave me a little revelation on this one time that I'd like to just share quickly. Um, being a computer guy, I was kind of asking the Lord about this one time. And he likened words, um, they're, they're, they're powerful, and how, how do they move around? The spirit is like a network, he, he told me. It's a network, right? Computers work on a network. And words, once they're spoken live in the network and they don't go away right like pictures on the internet that you think are gone they're not gone these words live out there and unless we bind them and we take them out of the network they live hey man so 
that was what really, it really stuck with me that these words that are spoken about us or that we're speaking is out there doing their work because we are made in their image, right? We are creators. So our words are so powerful and we have to be careful because they go out. And if you don't stop it on the spiritual network, see this network is never ending, right? If we don't stop those things, they continue to do their work. So we want to bind those nasty things. We want to take those out of our lives and out of the lives around us, of the people around us we care about, and replace them with the Word of God. Amen. And you know, that is quite the revelation, Rob. Thank you so much for sharing that. So, all right. So um, I am, Pastor, what a prepared church you have. I mean, you... I've been here and every sermon that, that I hear and all the teachings, they're just all going in the right direction. And look at, look at this community. So very, very well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you. All right. Unity. Let's read the rest of the, uh, the master text. So grabbing my Bible here, um, Acts chapter 4. Starting at verse 32, change agent, unity. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own. i getting uncomfortable. <laughs> felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. Wow. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus in great Blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. You know, there's an old saying, and I know you've heard it, you know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Unity is the gospel in action. You don't have to have a sermon when you see God's people acting like God's people. Right? Yeah, somebody got an amen on that. You know, release some power for us here. Now, we're talking about unity and notice all the activity. Now, keep that in mind. I don't want, please don't, if I say something like, this or that. I really don't mean to be this or that because unity is sometimes thought up as thought of as as, as kumbaya, right? I'm I'm going to be unity. I'm going to be flowery and nice and avoid conflict. That doesn't really mean unity. That doesn't really get things done. And sometimes that really causes a lot of harm. But I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an emotion and, and a feeling and an affection for our brothers and sisters. We should. But it's both and because all the good feeling doesn't get something done for the kingdom other than everybody's harmonious, right? Everybody's harmonious. But sometimes a good conflict unleashes a lot of good potential that would otherwise be locked up. But it's not either or. It is kumbaya by all means. But it's also unity demonstrated in activity, and look at the activity that was taking place here. Now, this is why I got my tissue, so bear with me. 
John said in 1 John 3, 17, if someone has enough money to live well, that describes me, and I am not boasting. As a matter of fact, for most Americans, I would say it describes almost most of us, right? If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? And my conviction is this. I'm convinced that I don't see them because I don't actively look for them. I think they're there, but I don't seek them. I think it's a black eye on the, on the church if we have the poor among us. And I'm going to have to talk in another direction and uh, just ask you to bear with this. But I'm feeling that, you know, some people may be saying, okay, we're an American. And I, I, I'll tell you, I, it, it, it's a confusing thing. First of all, I'm talking about Christian unity in the church. Brothers and sisters taking care of brothers and sisters. I'm not talking about the world at large. But God said to take care of our own, right? So I'm not talking about the healthy looking person that's holding the sign that says, I'll work for money. It's like, me too. <laughs> that starts every day. And it's been going on for 41 years. I know the feeling, you know? So I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our church. And I'm not talking about just this community, this, this one but the whole of the Christian church, right? But I think that we got to start by looking here before we go and start trying to conquer out there. And I look around, and it looks like we're all pretty well off and well-dressed and, and good. So I really, you know, I'm not saying that there's a, a, a hidden destitute, but I am saying that we don't seek to know, and sometimes we may actually sense it and try to avoid it. And that's where I'm coming under my conviction. So Scripture teaches that if a person is able to work and they don't do it, that's on them, right? And I'll be the first to speak that truth to them in love to whomever needs to hear it. And I'll repeat it. Any able-bodied believer that simply chooses to not work needs a different kind of help altogether. That's not Christian unity when you have the capability and you don't do anything and you're asking for something when you can provide it and do something like the rest of us. That's not unity. They need a different lesson. But surely there are brothers and sisters that are victim of circumstances that are beyond their control. And if not in this church body, then in the one over there, or maybe five or ten miles over there, there are hurting brothers and sisters in this community. And I don't know about them because I haven't sought them. And I can't shake that conviction. So I have to do more. And I, 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 I'm, I'm going to do more. 
There's another part of this unity is unity in your marriage. And I, you know, for those, we were talking about what if your spouse doesn't, and we just keep on loving them and keep demonstrating that love and the kindness. But I can say I am so thankful to God, whatever road he took me on, that he gave me the spouse that I have, right? I am united with me and she's united with me. And if I want to go seek somebody to help, her heart's bigger than mine. And she's going to go with me and she will help me to do it. And she, I can just tell you, now you see why I got the tissue box, right? Christian unity, wow. It's not just, it's not just circular, it's spherical. It's three-dimensional, maybe even more than that. So much power is unleashed when God's people act like God's people. And I want to say a little word on socialism. Someone might read this and they say, this looks like socialism. No, it's not socialism when you do it with the love of God of your own free will in the name of Jesus Christ who died for the sins of the world. I choose to do it. Not some tyrant forcing it down my throat, telling me to take my hard-earned money and give it to some lazy person that, doesn't, that's a, that, that just doesn't have any good intention at all, and I've got to help balance the load. No, that's not how I want to live. But if I want to use, of my own free will, my resources to help a brother and sister, it's not just my choice. I've been told to do it. I've been told to do it. Amen. And then people will know that we're God's. One last point. Unity is vital for battle formation. We all got to get on the same page and we got to be marching toward the same goal in the same direction. And we got to be taking up the same battle chant. We got to be under the same banner. Unity confuses the opposition. Look at this from Exodus. God, talking about the enemy, says, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. That means your enemies are afraid. They, no, just pass on by. Don't hurt me. Right? They're confused. God will do that. But you know what? The devil wants to use that same tactic. And he's trying to use what you're seeing today his big fat lie, to make you get confused, to scatter you off so he can hunt you down individually because he knows he can't take you when you're united. When you're in a group, he can't take you down. And he's scared to death that we're going to unite and we are going to unite. I remember, how could you ever forget if you're in this generation? The Grinch stole Christmas, he thought, right? He thought he stole the very thing that the Who's down in Whoville cherried most, he thought it was the presents. So he stole them all. But the Who's in Whoville, they didn't just stand and sing the next morning. They held hands, no presents, and they celebrated the birth of the Savior. They celebrated as one, and the Grinch was confused. And what happened to his heart? It broke. And when it broke, it grew. And it grew so many sizes that day. That's what we're going to do. That's what we do when we unite. We clasp our spiritual hands 
and we hold ourselves to hands together as one and we stand in the palm of Jesus' mighty hand and no one can snatch us or our blessings out of his hand when we stand united like the who's down in Whoville, presence or no presence, don't buy the lie. They, can, they may think they took the presence, but they didn't take the Savior. He's ours and we're his and that's the way it is forevermore. One little last word. One little last word, please. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. You know, I was fed up with Facebook and I thought, I'll just be the one that starts the whole Facebook boycott. And they might know my name like they knew somebody else that boycotted in the 60s or whichever. I'd be the famous Facebook boycotter that got them all boycotted and shut down Facebook. That's not going to happen. You know, that's pride, right? That's just fat pride. So I got to thinking about it and it's like Christian unity. Get outside of the four walls of the church. Get outside of the four walls of your home. Be bold enough to talk back to somebody that's smacking God down. Don't put up with it. Just do so with some humility, but do so with confidence and do so because you're prepared. But what about Facebook? Now, I was all fed up and I was ready to like quit. But you know what? Here's what I'm thinking that I'll do. Let's try to take down Facebook from the inside. We're not going to tear it down from the outside. Let's take it down from the inside. Let's lambaste Facebook with scripture, right? Let's pummel it with the blood of Jesus Christ on the inside. Let's plaster its walls with a show of Christian unity. Let's turn up the heat and cook it from within. Let's post images of the cross, images of the flag, words from the constitution. Don't tread on me and in God we trust and don't let up and just keep it coming. And I'm looking around and I'm seeing so many of my brothers and sisters that are already up in their game on Facebook and they're showing the unity and I'm going to join in and like what you say every time I see it. I may not see them all, but when I see them, I'm going to like them and I'm going to put the little hearty thing on there and I'm going to slap your hand and then I'm going to put one out because you put one out. Praise the Lord today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you. What ifs of Christian unity? You know, really the what is is if we get past our uncomfortability. What if we get past our shyness and we get past our trivial concerns? And what if we just opened our hearts a little bit more and we open our pocketbooks a little bit more and we open our eyes and look just a little closer what can happen. You know, don't change on your fundamentals, but do change in your fervor. And let's look at changing in our practice. Acts chapter 4, change agents, prayer, preparedness, boldness, and unity. Thank you all. Praise God. Praise God. Well, that was, a, that was a full meal deal, wasn't it? Praise God. You know, I just want to give us a, an application point or, or, or a marching order on that before we pray here and we go here in a minute. Um, one of the, the things that really spoke to me in that, and Brent, thank you so much. That was excellent, brother. But one of the things that really spoke to me during that, that teaching, um, you know, I didn't know 
you taught me something, Brent, that 90% of all the references on prayer in the New Testament were corporate. I didn't know that statistic. That was, that was really good. So um, there's, a, there's a marching order there. You know, whenever we learn from the Word, we then have to be doers of it, don't we? So uh, I like the fact that in the New Testament, they say that they, they met uh, daily in the temple and from house to house. So they went to a place of worship corporately, but then they met in each other's houses as well, and a lot of that was for prayer. Did you know that? So I think it's really important that we do the same thing, and not just something that's spearheaded by the pastor all the time, but there, you guys, you, know, you, you have telephones. You can call each other and say, hey, can we get together for prayer? Um, even two people, where two or more are gathered. But I also do believe that having a time of corporate prayer here at the church is also really important too, and we haven't done enough of that. And I really believe that we need to be doing a little bit more of it. It's just in this culture where people are busy and um, prayer is sometimes so low on the priority list. And it's like if we have a, if we have a, a sermon series on prosperity, the whole church throws, shows up for that or for healing. But we have a sermon series on, on prayer or, or we have a corporate prayer time separate from our other, you know, six people might show up. And, you know, that's a black mark on the church, I believe. So I, I think that the marching order here, at least one of them, there's many marching orders, I think, many application points that we can get from Brent's teaching. But I think the prayer thing really spoke to me. And this is so important for the progress of the church, the advancement of the gospel, and for, for your personal progress as well. So I just want to put a you know, line out here that um, I think we do need to be doing more of corporate prayer, whether it's two or three people in a home or at a coffee shop or something larger here, but we want to be doing more of that. So look for more opportunities to do that and make opportunities among yourselves for that. Don't just rely on me to spearhead something all the time. Okay. Seriously, I can't do everything, you guys. I can't think of everything. I can't do, I can't spearhead everything. So this is something you need to be doing on your own. Call somebody, call a prayer friend, and say, hey, let's get together for prayer on Thursday. You know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, we will have some corporate opportunities that are here at the church, and I'll spearhead a few of those from time to time. But I also want you to be thinking about, prayer is important, folks. It's so important, so important that 90% of the references to, to prayer in the New Testament were corporate prayer, and there's power in that. Okay, so just be looking for that. Okay, Brent, thank you again, brother. That was excellent, excellent work. Stand with me, let's pray.